When you can't stop betting nonstop and gambling is affecting your relationships, your job, and more, are you really winning? This is Problem Gambling Awareness Month, and we want you to know you are not alone. You can get help by calling 1-800-GAMBLER. Know the signs of problem gambling by visiting areyoureallywinning.com. Discover one of our community's unique resources, the Oak Park River Forest Community Foundation, www.oprfcf.org. Welcome back to the Doris Davenport Show. My name is Doris Davenport, and I am your host for the hour. Paul, Paul, that is absolutely the best choice. Every time I hear it now on Sundays. It fits. It fits, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, when you're hosting a show, the music is everything. It's like an athlete that has their walk-on music, or a boxer, really. I guess that's who I could really kind of, uh, you know, confirm it to, or compare it, it to. It's such a familiar song, too, but a different version of the popular classic that I think, you know, no one else, there can't be another host in the country that's using that, so... I wanted something that would fit, that would uh-huh. be yours. Of I course, love it's it. Booker T and the MGs as well, but <laughs> but we thank them for using it. We thank them. We <laughs> thank them. And I thank you, and I thank Devin. I could not do this without the two of you, and I absolutely appreciate your partnership in producing this show every single week. Um, so we've got an hour, folks, and I would like to talk to you. This is WCPT uh, 820 Progressive Talk Radio, where facts matter. You can call us at 773-763-9278. That's 773-763-9278. And, of course, the mayoral election is on everybody's mind. And let's just talk about it. Let's see where you are. Uh, what you're thinking about it, and I'll kind of bring up some issues just to get us started. And if you don't feel like talking, that's quite all right, because that's what I'm here to do. So let's talk about it. We know that uh, we just had a mayoral election, and the incumbent, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, lost her re-election bid for the first time in Chicago history. That's about 40 years it's been now since uh, an incumbent mayor in Chicago has lost an election bid. And so that is pretty major. And really what is important about it is because we are faced with two candidates in Brandon Johnson and Paul Vallis, who some say are at extreme opposites in their approach to governing, and others will say that they actually have quite a bit in common. And then, of course, we have Chicago elections, where people are always looking for, what's the wild card in this election? What's the wild card? Well, honey, I just feel like Chicago elections in general are wild, outright. They are just wild. Anything can happen. We don't always know what to expect. And I'm not sure it's going to be any difference in this race. Um, 
people look at Paul Vallis and they consider him to be more on the conservative side of the spectrum. Uh, people look at Brandon Johnson and they consider him to be on the more progressive side of the spectrum. They are both Democrats. And frankly, the Democratic electorate are on both sides of the spectrum and in all places in the middle. So there must be a candidate for everyone. And remember, whoever gets elected is going to have to govern for everyone. So, you know, there's some hardliners out there, hardline voters who just simply say, I'll never vote for this one because I believe in this, that or the other. And remember that that's okay. But let's be open so that whoever does get elected, if it's not the mayor of your choice, it is someone that you are able to communicate with, to work with, and um, realize that that's still going to be your your mayor. But I want to look at some of the differences um, that do exist. Um, first of all, uh, our mayoral elections in Chicago um were I, I can't remember the year. I believe that it was Mayor Daly who was in office when uh, Chicago's mayoral elections, it was elected that they be um, nonpartisan. When that happened, a lot of the black political leaders felt like a nonpartisan election was always going to be a shoe in for a white candidate. Well, that's been proved. Uh, a couple of times at least, not to be the case, although some people will say, well, that depends on who's backing the mayors as well, um, based on what they will do once they get in office. And of course, that's come up in this election, um, because both candidates have a lot of backers, one heavily union backed, the other heavily backed by uh, conservative groups, and perhaps both uh, have funding from out-of-towners. But um, it's not really clear how much of an impact is made from moving away from traditional um, partisan elections. Um, we've had the machine under Daly for three three times he got reelected. Is that right? Daly? Richard Daly was elected, I think, three times. And Rahm Emanuel won. And I don't believe he had a he didn't have a runoff the first time. Right. Uh, no, uh, yes, he did. The he, first time? Oh, right. It was. No, no, he didn't. I'm sorry. He didn't. Mm -hmm. he, he got 55% of the vote in 2011, beating Gary Chico, Miguel Del Valle, and Carol Mosley Braun. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, but I think that, you know, it's, I'm not sure that's definitely the case now. Um, we have a, and some people do look at elections in Chicago because of Chicago's history in black and white, literally, as opposed to the politics of a thing, the politics of a candidate. Um, so on that election in February, on February 28th, if we look at um, the results, uh, as unofficial as they may be, Vallis got 33%, Johnson got 22%, uh, and now we're looking at this um, runoff and what that's going to look like. I don't know who you're planning to vote for, uh, but I'd love to know what your interests are, too. What are you looking for in a Chicago mayor this time around? Do you think that the two candidates that we have, that you could live with either one of them? Um, you're free to let me know who you want to uh, vote for. I'm really not looking for political um, um, 
uh, calls from staffers. We get those sometimes where they're, you know, listening to the radio stations and that's their volunteer effort with the campaign to um, promote that candidate. I'd like to hear from everyday voters. If you're listening to WCPT 820-773-763-9278. And we're going to keep looking at this mayoral election. And the runoff model, frankly, where two top vote getters um, compete in a second round if nobody gets over 50 percent of the vote in the first round. And um, so the runoff model was really supported, I understand, by white Democrats and some Republicans in the mid-90s following the 1983 election and really following the 1987 re-election of Harold Washington. And because that change came so close to the Harold Washington election, who, in fact, was the city's first black mayor, um, uh, this was a big issue. And it left many of the electorates seeing in black and white, if they weren't doing so already. And when Harold Washington first won in 1983, he secured the Democratic nomination, and um, I believe he well, he had 36% of the primary vote against uh, Mayor Jane Byrne, who received 34%, and Daley, who was a Cook County state's attorney at the time, received 30%. Um, and Washington, after that, went on to defeat Republican Bernard Epton in the general election, And he didn't win by a whole lot. I think it was 52 to 48 percent or something like that. Like almost exactly on. Yeah. Okay. cool. Cool. So we're close. We're close. This is this is important, you know, because this is WCPT 820 where facts matter. Um, And we want you to be as informed as possible because this is an important election. This is our mayoral election. We we seem to really get hot and bothered by the presidential elections when they come up. But there isn't another election more important than our local election. You know, like a lot of candidates when they were running had a lot of ideas, but they couldn't really talk about how they plan to pay for those ideas. And that's that's what people want to know from these two candidates. You've got big ideas, both of you, um, great ideas on both sides of the table, but how are we going to pay for them? You know, when we had, I think it was, what, 11 candidates at one time in this race? Uh, My thing... Uh, issue that I was looking at was what are they talking about as it relates to taxes? Because frankly, I don't want to pay another tax. I'm sick and tired of taxes and programs that are have to be paid for by taxpayers. I just think that's going to be problematic in general. I personally, I can talk about things that are good for the black community, good for the Asian community, good for the Latino community, good for the Muslim and the immigrant community. And then Everybody else who claims to be the majority. Uh, But then, on the other hand, I have to talk about me personally as an individual voter. And as an individual voter, I ain't got no interest in nobody's taxes. Uh, You know, I was watching a debate on TV the other day, one of the first runoff debates, one of the first debates leading to the runoff. And a question was asked of both candidates. If elected, will you maintain, well, that actually is a two-part question. One is, will you maintain all of the cameras that currently exist in the red light camera system? And they both 
um, raised their hand. I think that was the first question, but the second question was more important to me. That's probably why I remember it more accurately. And that was, do you plan to get rid of some of the cameras in the uh, red light camera system? And both candidates raised their hand and said yes. I certainly would have liked that question to be a three-part question and ask, by how much? And do you have even, you know, if not the commitment, the desire to eliminate it altogether, because I frankly think it's one of the most um, criminal taxes that we have. And I do use the word criminal because I do not believe any of the manufactured reports about safety, uh, given where these cameras keep popping up. And when the decision was made to increase that speed limit six miles, I believe, from 32 to 36 um it's a problem. It's a problem. And it does not appear to be safety. When you look at the m- amount of money that the city gets from the red light cameras, um, it is a money grab. And it's a huge, significant money grab. One that a mayor, it's going to be very, very hard for a mayor to not um, continue to support that system, just given the sheer revenue that it brings in year after year. Um, so... If we look at, again, this nonpartisan system that's been in place since um, Harold Washington's reelection, um, if we didn't have a nonpartisan system, Washington and Jane Byrne probably would have been forced into a runoff against each other, um, it's been said. And uh, some Democrats thought that the split white vote between Byrne and Daley would have unified against Washington, which meant that Byrne would have uh, received a second term um, at that time. And frankly, some of the black political leaders just foresaw that scenario replaying over and over and over again. Um, But as the legislation that made these Chicago mayoral races nonpartisan, kind of, you know, moved through the legislative process, they saw a lot of danger um, that, that, that the initiative was a conspiracy and that it was a conspiracy with one intention, and that was to thwart African-American mayoral aspirations. I don't know what you think about that, but I would like to know. Um, Gregory in Rogers Park looks like we've got a Brandon Johnson supporter on the line or maybe somebody who's got something to say about Brandon Johnson. Are you there, Gregory? Yes, I am. And what I want to say is when I caught the clip on YouTube of what, what the clip are you at, what at cl- the University of mm-hmm. and when I caught the clip yesterday evening uh, of the f- debate that was just held Yesterday, uh, from 4.30, I think, to 6.30 p.m. at the University of Illinois at Chicago Forum at Roosevelt, mm-hmm. Halston, and the Dan Ryan, I saw Brandon Johnson saying that this man can't count, and it's not like a black man can't count. And if Brandon Johnson is going to be successful, if he becomes mayor, to enlist the corporate community and to enact a transaction tax on the trillions of dollars that go through the Board of Trade, the Mercantile Exchange, to come up with this missing funding so that we could properly fund preschool through K education in Chicago, like they do in Europe and Japan, and get these kids off the gangbanger track to reduce crime, 
by investing in people as he wants to do and wants to wake us up to doing along with enforcing crime now he's going to have to not alienate the base and constituency that supports Paul Vallis. You cannot vilify and taint Paul Vallis here to critique him. And I think the forum should also allow for, a different kind of forum should allow for them to give 20-minute professorial-type explications because he says he's gone to school districts and left deficits and messed up the pension balance and laid off people. I mean, let just go ahead and give us the numbers. We can handle you breaking down what happened in Bridgeport or Philly, but it's a soundbite kind of thing, and they're rushing to try to get in shots, and that's immature and dysfunctional. And We can handle real explication of public policy, and 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 Valance was saying he doesn't want to talk about the issue. He's just you know being negative towards me. I would like to know what you think about ranked choice voting, and I'd like to I'd leave you with asking you: Don't you think Brandon Johnson risk alienating some of the voters if he's going to pull this off by being too negative against Paul Vallis? Well, Gregory, hang with me for a minute. Let's talk about this for um, a couple of minutes here. Uh, I absolutely think from a, um, a political strategy standpoint, you're absolutely correct. Um, you know, I work, I've worked on several high-level high, uh, political campaigns, and that is the advice that I give as a communications person. Um, you cannot, especially when you're in a runoff, because you really are not just speaking to your base at this point. When you are running for the general election, yes, you are speaking to your base. You are your 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 main goal is to amass as many votes as you can um, that that believe in your ideals. But in the runoff, you've got that base. Um, you know, pretty much. And, and you're also trying to look at your opponent and you want to convince many of them to come to your side of the table. And I do agree with what you're saying, that it's important not to vilify um, your opponent and not to your your opponent's supporters and not to anger them to the point that they just turn against you. And create more problems for you, even if you do get elected because of that anger. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that's important on both sides. I'm not sure that it is a good idea for Paul to simply ignore the accusations that are um, cast upon him in these debates, particularly when questions or 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 accusations from your opponent about not wanting black history in schools, given that that's a national debate, to ignore that and not to speak to it, I think, turns away African-American voters from your candidacy if those voters are important to you winning the runoff. Um, I have a question to ask you, Gregory. You made a comment that by investing in people, as Brandon Johnson said, and if we were to do the kinds of things with the transaction tax to pay for Chicago public schools, et cetera, that it could help to get these kids off the gang uh, banger path. And that sounds to me like, and I ask this because it is important, I think, for people to know what is the perception of Chicago public schools. And it sounds like when you hear Chicago public schools, just in general, you think about 
kids that are on the gangbanger paths and that that is what Chicago Public Schools is made up of. That's what it sounded like to me. And I'm asking this really because I'm interested in knowing what perception, what the perception is about Chicago Public Schools. So I understand when people don't are not supportive of 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 the institution. Please talk to me. Well, uh, first of all, I have to say that my mother was a K through second grade Chicago public school teacher. And that was a different Chicago public school than the one we have today. You and I both know that. Oh, you mean back in 1965 to to 1970? We're talking about Chicago public school today in 2023. (laughs) And I would say coming from a family of educators like my mother and my grandmother and her two daughters, my two aunts who taught visually impaired special education and my okay but let's let's get to the question here that 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 that, that, that something's wrong that we have two percent of our kids or whatever it is wait 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 i'm going to stop you gregory because i asked a very specific question and you're going around the question so my question to you is when you hear chicago public schools is it your perception that Chicago public schools and the decisions that you make about what people should, how it should be funded, is your perception that Chicago public schools is filled with kids on the gangbanger path? That's my question. My, perce- my perception is that 2% or even 1%, it doesn't take much to create this perception that we have crime out of control, that the African-American community where I'm from is creating a disproportionate amount of kids driving around carjacking people at gunpoint and mugging people at gunpoint and smashing windows of smash and grab and scaring off tourists and conventioners and businesses. And you think that's because so, of Chicago public schools? I'm just asking. I'm not part, debating this part, with you. Partly, mm-hmm. partly. That's one third of the problem, whatever it is. It's part of the problem. And what are the other two thirds of the problem that from your perception? Well, I would say that the complex socio-cultural economic history of the last 400 years or my grandmother, who was born in 1914 in Morgan Park, said when I asked her, when did the kind of crime start to develop, you know, in the black community? And she thought it was in the 50s when the drugs started to come in. Now, of course, we don't make the drugs. We don't ship them in. But, of course, we would be a convenient place in a red-lined community to allow the heroin, cocaine, and other drugs to be sold and as a way of destabilizing the black community because we know we have a systematic structural oppression and isolation of the black community. But then there's maybe, you know, maybe uh, perhaps... Um, single-parent households don't help, uh, jobs leaving, and uh, then you don't have enough to make enough money to raise your family, and so the guy goes looking for work elsewhere. Um, uh, uh, Perhaps uh, being alienated from the mainstream community because racial polarization, and so they just stick to their own community and getting membership and a gang is a substitute, is a dysfunctional surrogate family substitute. I, I, I think in some more traditional cultures in the world where they have a lot of organized crime, it's probably a way to get an actual higher income or to have a kind of status in a corporate organization because okay. things are corporate organizations. So there's cultural, historic, and uh, but the schools are the one institution that we can all impact 
because we fund it and it gets them at starting at age three. Yeah. You've got to get yeah. them at age three right out of the gate in preschool. Yeah. yeah. I've been here 21 years. I left in 74. I was gone for 28 years. I've been back 21 years this mm-hmm. June. And that time I've seen a whole crop of at-risk three-year-olds go 15 years till they're supposed to graduate in, in high school at age right, 18. Right, right. So, Paul. Out, getting juvenile records, getting potential to federal. Paul, I'm calling you, Paul. Records. Yeah, uh, Gregory. Um, you're upset about this, and I don't blame you because there's there's a lot to be upset about. I think one of the things that um, that is important to note is that we do have a crime problem in Chicago. I mean, that is the center of this argument. I think we have to do two things because... Um, it's like you said, we, we can't look at one over the other, though. I mean, you've got the Chicago public school system. That is what it is. We have a truancy problem where a lot of these kids are not in school, and that's why they have the freedom to go out and commit crimes. Um, I will say that the uh, those that are committing crimes in the drug arena are certainly not all black. You can walk right over to... Um, any suburb that borders Chicago um, or that's any of the suburbs, really, and and talk to them about the drug problem. And those are not black folks that are selling those drugs, by the way. Um, who's, who's carjacking at gunpoint and mugging people at gunpoint at any time of the day in any neighborhood on the north, south, mm-hmm. west? Southeast, northeast. I'm not debating with you who's committing. I'm not debating with you who's committing carjacking. I'm just simply saying that black people aren't the only people committing crime. So whenever I'm having a conversation with someone and everything that they say about crime points to black people, I just have to say that I'm not defending that. But the the fact that your lens is crime equals black people is problematic. And I, I'm well, sorry you don't understand that because 15%, 15%. also, Gregory, I let you talk, so you'll have to listen. It's a give and take conversation. Right. And then right. we also have to look at white collar crime versus blue collar crime because the white collar crimes that have been getting a pass for decades, if not centuries, create a lot of the systemic problems, the disparate, the disparities that we talked about, those social cultural types of disparities that leave people in environments where there is disinvestment um, for decade after decade. And you know, to consistently point the finger at blue-collar crime or, and, and, and never look at the white-collar crime is problematic as well. What are your thoughts? Right. If you could shift gears for me for a moment. All right. What are your yes, thoughts about the, red, the, the white-collar crimes? I mean, just the sheer fact that homes in very nice, stable um, um, communities where there may be a, a majority of black people, homes that are made the same square footage, same land, if you go somewhere else, those, they're valued much higher. And so when people are trying to um, stabilize them, their families and their neighborhoods or their blocks, we have, a, we have a disparity in our property tax system as well. What are your thoughts about those kinds of things? Well, I know that there's a national issue. There's a number of lawsuits across the country. Well, now let's about talk crazy. about Chicago, if you don't mind. There's a there's a, probably a lawsuit in Cook County about appraising uh-huh. appraising a black home in a nice white neighborhood 
lower than when they have their white friend put up all their pictures and make it look like it's owned by a white person. Right. We so know there's a built-in $50,000, dollars mm-hmm. $55,000 average devaluation just for being black, owning a wonderful home in a wonderful white suburb because of the conditioning and the, of the culture over the last 400 years. But you can address that through, through I mean, Brandon Johnson was right wait, wait. about the TIF oh, go mm-hmm. funds going, about the TIF, he says there's a billion dollars in TIF and it's going to help reduce tax for businesses in downtown and what have you when it needs to be invested in this great, this three to 18 year old education cycle that we have to intervene with to prevent another group of at-risk three-year-olds. So so do you feel that we should use the TIF money? Do you feel that we should use the TIF money uh, for, and by the way, um, you can talk, you can keep calling these black kids gangbangers, which I don't appreciate. um, And (laughs) and you should also be looking at um, these three-year-olds who start out in families that support the use of guns for any and every reason, and then they grow up and end up killing people and killing masses of people. Those are not three-year-old black kids growing up to be gangbangers, carjacking people. Those are people with M16 rifles gunning children and adults down, and they don't happen to be black, many of them. But let me just say this, and then I'm going to have to say goodbye to you, Gregory, and I do appreciate the call and this exchange. I really do. No, just wait a minute, and I'll let you say something. We can't both talk at the same time, so I'm going to have to let you go if you're not willing to listen. Um, I'm sorry. But um, I do feel that this election is is critically, critically important. And we've got to look at all of the factors. And just like you said in the beginning, I think we're going to have to end it there. And that is that neither candidate nor supporters can afford to alienate the supporters of any candidate or another. Once you start alienating and name-calling and vilifying segments of the population without realizing the power of your words, then you're doing exactly the same thing that you're saying candidates shouldn't do. Gregory from Rogers Park, thank you so much for calling the Doris Davenport Show uh, at WCPT 820. We appreciate the call and you have yourself a great Sunday afternoon. My name is Doris Davenport, and this is the Doris Davenport Show. We're going to take a break, and uh, we're going to hear from Paul Shivari and see what's happening in the sports world for the day. I'll be back on the other side of the break. We are so happy to be sponsored by the Wayback Inn, and um, here we go. We'll be back on the other side. Gearing up for March Madness? It's also Problem Gambling Awareness Month. If the tournament spreads are affecting your work, school, and relationships, are you really winning? Don't get lost in the madness. Let Wayback In, an addiction treatment center, help. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Discover one of our community's unique resources, the Oak Park River Forest Community Foundation. www.oprfcf.org. The weather's getting warmer. Time to enjoy the outdoors. Biking, hiking, sports. Pains and sprains. I hate venturing out. Let me give you something for that. A Band-Aid? The number to Dr. Victor Romano. 708-848-4662. I'll need a body cast. 
How about holistic healing? Can you explain that? Not as well as Dr. Victor Romano, 708-848-7662, One Airy Court, Oak Park. time for your sports update here on the Doris Davenport Show, all local, all the time. You know, each week I talk about how it's spring training baseball and it's not meaningful baseball, and I'm not going to give the Cubs and Sox score today because there (laughs) is meaningful baseball right now, and it's the World Baseball Classic, that rare tournament that happens once in a blue moon. The United States kicked off their uh, branch of the tournament last night, defeating Great Britain, which I didn't even know they played baseball in Great Britain. Oh, I didn't Um, either. (laughs) 6-2, the United States were victorious. They have a big one tonight, hosting Mexico. That's going to be at 9 o'clock tonight. Uh, Other good action. I'm not going to go over every score in this, but another good game if you want to check it out tonight. Venezuela at Puerto Rico. Those should be some really good games if you like baseball. Uh, Let's stick to some local stuff, though. Right now at the United Center, Purdue leads Penn State in the Big Ten Tournament Championship game. It's 40-31. Second half had just started. The Nittany Lions from Penn State need this win to qualify for the NCAA tournament. Purdue should be comfortably placed regardless of the outcome. Uh, as far as local, the Illini for University of Illinois should be qualifying as well. They were an early uh, early uh, uh, loss in the tournament. And uh, Northwestern, I realized last week after the sports update, I never gave any love to Northwestern. Oh my goodness. And they're having like their best season right? ever in basketball history. So they are. That, that's something, they deserve you know, it. They, they deserve it. Yeah, yeah we yeah. should be talking about that. Mm-hmm. So they should be qualifying for their second tournament today. Hopefully there won't be... um you know, mass uh, uh, panic on the streets of Evanston with, uh, you know, the premature celebration for making the tournament. So uh, that should be taking place in just a couple hours here where they announce all of the teams for Selection Sunday. Quickly, uh, Bulls won last night over the Rockets. The Blackhawks lost to the Lightning 3-1. to They're coming back to Chicago. Blackhawks hosting the Bruins on Tuesday. Bulls hosting the Kings on Wednesday. And that is your sports update. Okay, but wait a minute. Oh, wait. Oh, Aren't we oh. in the middle of March Madness? It, today's Selection Sunday, so we'll know by the end of the day who's in okay. uh, in the whole thing. And then I believe it's like Tuesday is the first four games, like right. Tuesday, Wednesday, and then everything kicks off Thursday. It's like the big like yeah. 12 hours of basketball on Thursday and Friday. Now, do you follow that? Because I've been like looking at Crimson Tide just to like see what like Alabama Crimson Tide. They, and... Which they qualified. They're, they're really good this year. Uh-huh. Um, I do. I, it, it's it's funny because I like college basketball, but I'm mainly an Illini fan. Uh-huh. But I, you know, this was kind of a rough year for the Illini, and I, I didn't get to catch the games that I mm-hmm. wanted to. Um, but with them being in the tournament, I'll watch those games. And then I always, you know, you fill out the brackets right, and try right. and, you know, win amongst your office workers. Um, and do we have a WCPT bracket here? We we do. We oh, do, actually. Ah, I so might we'll have, have to jump give, in yeah, there. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll pass your email address over yeah. to uh, our coordinator. So. Okay, that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Paul Shavari, mm-hmm. for that sport mm-hmm. report uh, on the Doris Davenport Show. We love that. Paul does such an absolutely great job doing that. Um, uh, play a little bit of uh, Proud Mary for me. I had to skip to the fast part. Uh, yeah, no, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Now, I know you all know that song. That is none other than Tina Turner. I don't think anybody can get you up and going like Tina Turner can. If you got something to do, like you've got a house to clean or a car to wash, <laughs> you can't find the energy, just put on Proud Mary. And I'm telling you, by the time that song is over, you will be raring to go. And it's been, what, 50 years since um, Tina Turner, the queen of rock and roll, sparked the rebirth of that song. And that is a phenomenal song. It's been around for a long, long time. And Tina Turner, why am I talking about Tina Turner? I just woke up with Tina Turner firmly on my brain. Uh, I am handling the press for uh, Tina, the Tina Turner musical that is coming to Chicago. It opens on Tuesday. And you need to get your tickets for the Tina Turner musical. There is only one her voice is undeniable, and her fire, oh my goodness, is unstoppable. Her triumph is like unlike any other. It's an uplifting comeback story like no other. Tina, the Tina Turner musical, is the inspiring journey of a woman who broke barriers and became the queen of rock and roll. It's set to the pulse-pounding soundtrack of her most beloved hits. This electrifying sensation will send you soaring to the rafters. One of the world's best-selling artists of all times, Tina Turner. She has won 12 Grammy Awards, and her live shows have been seen around the world by millions of people, with more concert tickets sold than any other solo performer in music history. That's right, y'all, in music history. Featuring her much-loved songs, Tina, the Tina Turner musical is written by Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright Katori Hall, and it's directed by the internationally acclaimed Felita Floyd. Felita Lloyd. Tina, the Tina Turner musical is recommended for ages 14 and up. The production includes loud music and um, it's great. You need to buy your tickets and how you can do that is to go to broadwayinchicago.com. That's broadwayinchicago.com. And I'm telling you the critics from the Variety, from ABC News, from New York Magazine, The Hollywood Reporter, Deadline, The Guardian, The New York Times and The Daily Beast, everybody is claiming this the musical to go and see. And I encourage you to go to www.broadway in chicago and buy your tickets for the tina turner musical it is playing at the james m nederlander theater right here in chicago it starts march 14th and runs through april 2nd so buy your tickets today now let's get back to this mayoral election um actually before i get back there paul i heard a report that really kind of got me scared. I hadn't realized that, you know, I'd been hearing about this in the last couple of months, but in the last two weeks even, we had two more planes that almost had to, they had to do something to stop themselves and the planes from literally falling out of the sky were the words in the report. Wasn't there something at like JFK a few months ago where it was like a near miss? So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And the, this is happening more and more frequently. And I am like, what the heck is going on? 
every time I think about traveling now, I, it, there's something going on. I don't know if it is that we have downgraded the qualifications for our air traffic controllers. Is there something going on in the atmosphere from a weather perspective that's creating, you know, environments that make it more, more difficult for the way our planes are built to fly through the, this whatever is going on? But we're not getting a clear answer. And, ah, inquiring minds need to know what is happening in the sky. So that's something we want to talk about uh, in the weeks to come and really keep an eye on on that. So, yeah, one of the things that our last caller brought up uh, is the role of crime. And, yeah, we're all bothered by it. And let me tell you, I'm downtown every day. And yes, I am among the people who look over my shoulder. Uh, I thank God for the police officers that are keeping us safe downtown. Their presence is welcome. And I also have to say that this this issue of alienating um, voters is important. So now you all know both Brandon and Paul are friends of mine. Paul has been here on the show. He was here for the uh, general election. He spent the hour with us and he was very open with every question I asked of him. And I would like to say that it's important for um, Brandon's candidacy not to alienate the rank and file of the police officers because when it comes to negotiating and um, getting those consent decree issues resolved, we want to make sure that they are compliant with that. And at the same time, we want to make sure that Paul Vallis is not alienating the black community by any support that he might have. Now, he, I appreciate him for responding to the question about um, the endorsement of the head of the FOP. And frankly, I, I think I'm satisfied with his answer. And his answer was that, you know, the endorsement came from uh, the FOP, not this individual who invited DeSantos to Illinois, um, which I think was a, um, you know, they liked this guy, the head of the FOP that likes to play those kinds of games as an individual. And, you know, but you can't ignore that it was the rank and file that voted him back in. So, <laughs> you know, you have to think about what you feel about that. Um, it is 346 on WCPT, where facts matter. The number here is 773-763-9278. We know that crime is a big issue. Um, uh, crime, the, the crime issue played um, a big role in the victory of New York, black New York Mayor Eric Adams, who was an NYPD veteran. Um, he, 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 he was ushered into office two years ago. And the key, the key constituency in Mayor Eric Adams' victory were middle-class black voters, people with jobs and families in large parts of Brooklyn and, and the North Bronx and southeastern Queens. And, you know, we've got to look at the uh, Chicago electorate, and I'm not sure how easy it is to really identify um, that electorate right now with, you know, we've had some pretty mass exoduses from uh, Chicago. Um, Lori Lightfoot was black, yes. She did carry Chicago's heavily black west side and the south side, but she only topped 50% in 
and in only like three or four of the precincts. And most black people voted for somebody else, although people assumed that many, most of them voted for her. That really was not the case. Uh, okay, it is 348. Let's see what Eduardo on the southwest side has to say about the crime connection to lockdowns. Eduardo, are you there? Yeah, Doris, uh, it's been a while since we talked, but uh, we talked when you were doing a, you know, a show with, with uh, uh, what's his name? I forgot already. Oh, that's okay. Our, right. But uh, Welcome back. This, Thank I you for calling. This, I listened to, uh, I made it a thing not just listen to Chicago radio, but listening to New York and L.A. I, I won't say what stations I picked. And I noticed similar patterns in young people, particularly males, after COVID, there's a, I don't know if this is the right analogy to use, animals coming out of their cages and attacking their master, having this anger problem. Uh, most of the people doing the shootings are young men. Um, even in the suburbs, uh, it's not, and this is not a race thing, because even in the suburbs, this one organization, I won't say what their name is, indicated not one single person was able to read it at the grade level. Okay, just let me just let me clarify something. I just want to follow you and understand what you're saying, because you're saying yeah. on the one hand, you said black people, but then you said it's not a race issue. So I would just want to be clear what the what. So I follow you correctly. Well, in regards to uh, like standardized testing and all that. Not, are, are you talking about are you talking about when you said that the animals are coming out to attack their masters? Who are the animals and who are the masters? Well, I'm talking about the after COVID. I, I don't think, in my opinion, that we should have shut down because this is what created all the mental problems because of the COVID shutdowns. Who are the animals but, and who but, are the masters? In your well, analogy, the masters that are the government and the people that were locked up were the the people us. Oh, we are the animals. Okay, the people who were locked down under right. COVID. Okay, I got you. I'm not, Just want to follow. Saying, I'm not saying a particular race. Yeah. I don't mm -hmm. want to go down there, Willie Wilson, because I know, yeah, I'm not. Just want to follow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Yeah. So nobody is is reading at the grade level here. And this all comes back from the COVID shutdown. This this put people set back uh, a lot. It wasn't just people in the city. But it was in numbers. It set back a lot of people back as far as falling behind uh, uh, social skills. Uh, you name it. I mean, uh Reading, mad, whatever. Uh, nobody wants to work now. I was talking to, I was calling other stations. We're wondering where are these people getting their income? And I was saying, well, they're either living with a family member or they're shoplifting. I mean, I'm not seeing how they're getting. Oh, I mean, we're not getting any more SNAP. I mean, the SNAP thing is being reduced. Uh, there's no more checks going out. Unless you're in this city where they're doing this guarantee income thing. So I'm afraid that uh, the COVID thing, doing the COVID lockdown, that really set us back. Yeah, I, the COVID uh, shutdown absolutely set us back. Um, I wonder how you feel about... I know you say you that you don't think we should have shut down, but at that time, I remember every day, remember when CNN and all of the, frankly, I think most of the national news shows, the 24-hour shows had that 
um, a statistical clock on the corner of the screen where it right, mentioned right. how many that. people died right. every day. And we watched that number go from the hundreds to the to, to just I don't even know what the highest number was at this point, Paul. Maybe you can uh, find that for us. But when you're looking at that number of people that in Illinois, we had um, hospitals stretched. Uh, we had you know, people didn't have, we didn't have the resources. The, the companies that manufactured the, the masks and gloves that we needed were in China and to get them here on time. We had a lot of problems. It, it, it right. was kind of hard, you know, to be in leadership and watch that many people dying on a regular basis. And until we got the answers not to shut down, I mean, you know, people weren't going to stores and people were keeping their um, kids home. People were afraid. I mean, what would you have done as a leader? Well, the president's and I'm thinking about President Biden. Said, well, my question is, what would you have done as a leader? Well, I would have walked in chew gum at the same time. Meaning? Yeah, you we wouldn't have, have shut kept, down. We so kept, you uh, things open, but we would have kept. Yeah, we would have. We could have had masks on. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But we would have encouraged people to go to their doctor. And you don't think people sure. were going to their doctor? I mean, it was a complicated situation. Uh, I, I'm not going to put you on the spot like yeah, that. I mean, it's a complicated you know, situation. I, I the government was thinking that they were going to treat this as the blue uh, thing because mm-hmm. you talk to these doctors. This is not to make a COVID or a flu thing go away. It's to uh, minimize, um, using the right words here, the damage that a a bug or a, or a virus might do for you. It's not right. to wipe it out completely. Yeah. Right. right. And they were afraid that if they would have treated it like the flu, that nobody would have taken it serious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely was a problem without a doubt. But, you know, when I think about the reading uh, that you brought up, you know, now that we know is a national problem. I, I, I don't think yeah. you can point to Chicago as that because we really, no, before the pandemic, yeah. we had this reading problem. And frankly, when you look at um, there are 55 schools that have been recorded in Chicago where zero students have prof- are proficient in reading and math. 55 schools right. is 55 too many. And Chicago wasn't the first state, a uh, city, to, major city to come out with that kind of a statistic. We first this year started zeroing in on this because we learned that Baltimore has 23 schools with zero students who can do math at the grade level. And so, you know, now we hear this kind of report coming out of Chicago. And, of course, everybody's looking at the rest of the country. But it's an alarming report. And when you combine that kind of a report with zero truancy program, which is what I feel we have, and I'd love to talk to um, Chicago Public Schools and find out what their truancy program is and why we have so many young people on the streets and not in school. Um, but yeah, I thank you so much, Eduardo, for that calling. Would be a great, that yeah, was that great. Would be a great conversation on the truancy. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, we've got Tommy in Chicago. Tommy wants to talk about being smart downtown. How are you, Tommy? Welcome to the Doris well, Davenport actually, Show. Uh, well, well, first of all, uh, uh, Ms. Davenport. Uh-oh, if I said it wrong, I, I, I seriously uh, apologize. But let's just be clear about one thing. It is the absolute epitome of hypocrisy to talk about the educational system in the city of Chicago. The public school city uh, uh, 
of Chicago had one of the best in the country. Mm-hmm. So all you have to do is roll the tape back and start asking, well, if we had one of the best, how did we get to all of these different schools? Put a pin in that. Then stop and say, wait a minute. How many decades have you lived in the city of Chicago and known for a fact that there was no investment on the south and west side whatsoever, including to the point of these abandoned buildings, vacant parking lots, hiring the residents to clean them up? Mm. Put a point in that. Mm-hmm. This so-called crime issue. Crime has been the number one tool that has been used against the South and West Side, and especially against the constituents in the suburbs who would be asking the question, what in God's name is going on in the city of Chicago? Mm. Because it's absolutely clear that when lawlessness breaks out, law enforcement goes in. Mm. So if you stop and you think about law enforcement going in, all of these decades on the south and west side can't catch nobody, crime steady going up, and then they turn around and let it loose on downtown and the North Shore area so it would be complete. Now we got two individuals running for mayor. One has been appointed to everything. The other one at least has been a, a, a elected to something, and they both sitting up talking about schools. Not about the disinvestment in the community. Not about trying to turn this thing around in terms of where the crime is at. Not about the fact that Kansas Hour stood up and told the Chicago Police Department in the midst of what was going on to stand down because individuals was talking about Black Lives Matter. And who in God's name would ever support defund the police? Only a lunatic. I mean... If the Wild Wild West figured it out that everybody couldn't have guns, it should not be a no-brainer for Chicago. And with that, I'll go back to the hollowed halls of Sandy. <laughs> love you guys. Thank you, Tommy. I love when Tommy calls in. Tommy always has something to say that matters. And we have to end it there, folks. I'm going to tell you, you know, we had the largest school closure in Chicago in 2013, And uh, we do have to look at the past. You know, that's a good point. We had the best school system, and now we have one of the worst. And we do need to look at that. Denise, I'm sorry that we've run out of time uh, for your call. We ask you always to please call. start to call in before the half an hour break uh, so that we can be sure to get your calls in. And we have so much to think about for this election. This is also Women's History Month, and we're going to reconvene our interviews next week uh, with uh, some very notable women and continue to finish this month out with women in the studio. And we've got some great women that we want to introduce you to and you know, re- bring back to you. We've got a couple of uh, female mayors we want to have on the show and uh, talk with you, uh, talk with them even about the Chicago mayoral election and see how does the Chicago mayoral election impact uh, the suburbs. That's an important question. We appreciate so much your support here at WCPT, where facts matter. And this is the Doris Davenport Show. We are here every Sunday from 3 to 4 p.m. And my name is Doris Davenport. I am your host for this hour every week.